0: Our scripture this morning is from Mark chapter 4, verses 30 to 34. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. Once upon a time, there was a prince who wanted to marry a real princess. There were plenty of ladies who called themselves princesses, but as far as he traveled, he could not seem to find any real ones. So he'd come home sad, for he very much wanted to marry a real princess. One evening, there was a terrible storm. There was thunder and lightning and rain pouring down in great torrents, and all of a sudden, there was a knock at the door. And what do you know, but a a princess was standing right there in front of them. She looked quite bedraggled from the storm, soaked from head to toe, Yet she claimed that she was a real princess. Well, we'll soon find that out, thought the queen. But she said nothing, went into the bedroom, took all the bedding off the bedstead, and laid a tiny mustard seed on the bottom. Then she took 20 mattresses and laid them on the seed and 20 or down beds on top of the mattresses. And on this, the princess had to lie all night. In the morning, she was asked how she slept. Oh, very badly, she said. I've scarcely closed my eyes all night. Heaven only knows what was in the bed, but I was lying on something so hard that I'm black and blue all over my body. It's horrible. And now they knew that she was a real princess because she had felt the mustard tiny mustard seed right through the 20 mattresses and the 28 or down beds. So you might likely recognize the story as The Princess and the, and the Pea, a folktale by Hans Christian Andersen. I changed the pea to a mustard seed because we're reading a parable about a mustard seed today, and I'm the pastor, and I can do that. Uh, But what does this have to do with Jesus' parable about the mustard seed? I'm I'm getting there. Uh, In its original publication, this story was apparently not well received. Critics were not fond of its informal and chatty style and claimed that it lacked any clear morals to it. Most good fairy tales have a very clear lesson to them. To take away from moral living. Anderson's tale, instead, it pokes fun at the elite. It subverts expectations. It conveys a different kind of moral by exposing the ridiculousness of royal sensibilities. Now, I have no idea if he did this on purpose, but Anderson is in many ways taking some cues from Jesus's teaching. As we'll find in our text today, Jesus often taught in parables which shared stories and illustrations that subverted assumptions, that subverted the expectations, even about what the kingdom of God was supposed to look like. And we're in a series on the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we're in chapter 4 today. Thus far, we've seen Jesus burst onto the scene, healing many people, casting out demons. Uh, John the Baptist prepared the way for him. He's been preaching in and around Galilee, calling disciples to himself. Crowds have been gathering, both in terms of people who really uh, want to hear more about who Jesus is and are, are very interested in him, as well as opposition, people who want to hear more because they are kind of uh, curious about him in a negative way. But at one point, the crowd gets so big, he has to climb into a boat just along the water's edge so that people can hear better. And he begins telling parables, First, talking about seeds. We uh, saw the video of the parable earlier of uh, the, the sower and the seeds. And in particular, we are talking about this parable of the mustard seed, growing larger than any garden plants and offering shade to the birds with its branches. So what does this parable tell us about the kingdom of God? A few things, I think. The first one is that the kingdom of God is surprising. This lesson may be particularly important for those who weren't really sure what Jesus meant. I, uh, the kingdom of God has come near. This is the first thing that Mark in his gospel has Jesus recorded as say, saying that uh, he has come and and read the actual text here. I'm telling you right, we just talked about that this morning uh, in our uh, study on the atonement why Jesus came and in chapter one verse fifteen. He says, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good Proclaiming that God's kingdom is come, it's emerging. It's being inaugurated. Now, people hear that and might say, Well, so this is what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like? You know, sure, he's healing many people. He's casting out demons. He's healing lepers. He's gaining an impressive following. But is all of that really significant enough to be the dawn of the Messianic age they've been expecting? I mean, they've seen miracle workers before. They're still in the midst of occupation uh, in in, in Rome. So what exactly is he trying to say by this? Well, Jesus points to the mustard. As a side note, mustard seeds are not the smallest seeds. There are other small seeds. But they are small, and it was common enough to use them as examples of small seeds and proverbs and sayings. But actually, they're not the smallest, and they don't actually grow into the largest of garden plants. Uh, Luke's gospel actually even exaggerates this point uh, to the point of calling it a tree. Most translations here call it a shrub or a garden plant. It's more accurate to its size, but it's pretty hyperbolic to call it the largest. Jesus' point here, though, is to emphasize the radical change between the small seed and the large plant. That's what he's really trying to emphasize. But at least part of the meaning of this parable is that the kingdom of God often takes root in small, humble corners of the world and emerges in a really surprising way. Like the mustard plant, its seed starts out smaller than most, but it grows into something unexpectedly large. So large that unlike uh, smaller garden plants, its branches can give shade to birds that are seeking to make their nest. That language is really important because he's actually drawing on larger imagery from the prophets. The images of oaks and cedars are common symbols throughout the scripture of power and stability and security. Um, And out of that strength and security, then an empire could provide shelter for vulnerable lesser nations uh, in the shade of its branches like birds, um, like birds finding shade um, and making their nests. So both Ezekiel and Daniel, they picture large trees that represent the growth of impressive empires like Assyria and Persia. And the birds that nest within them are explicitly interpreted as other nations who are enjoying the benefits of the larger empire, resting in the shade of their strength. In Ezekiel's vision, we see in in chapter 31, let's start in verse 5, so it, being Assyria, towered higher than all the trees of the field than all the other trees in the field. Its boughs increased. Its branches grew long, spreading because of abundant waters. All the birds of the sky nested in its boughs, and, and all the animals of the wild gave birth under its branches. All the great nations lived in its shade. God even goes on to describe uh, making Assyria like a tree that would have made the trees of the Garden of Eden envious. Assyria's empire was unrivaled. Because God let it be. But Assyria let the blessings go to their head. So then in verse 10, it says, Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says: Because the great cedar towered over the thick foliage, because it was proud of its height, I gave it to the hands of the ruler of nations for him to deal with according to its wickedness. So in these latter verses, God pronounces judgment on the tree of Assyria because it was so tall and it was proud of its height. In uh, in Daniel chapter 4, if you go there as well, Nebuchadnezzar faces a similar fate. But Daniel actually appears to be sad about it when he's telling uh, Nebuchadnezzar the meaning of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. But the takeaway is that the strength of empire isn't necessarily all that's cracked up to be. Because if pride kind of infects in the midst of that, um, it can cause that empire to fall. And the bigger they are, the harder they fall, right? In contrast, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God not as a cedar or an oak, one of these big strong trees. Instead, he describes the kingdom of God as a weedy mustard bush. It lacks the pride of the cedar. But what's the same between them? that's different. The thing that is the same is that there are still provisions for the vulnerable. The kingdom of God is a shelter strangers for the least of you. A tree might be mighty, but it can still be felled. Weedy plants like the mustard are resilient. No matter how fervently you try to root them out, they always seem to pop right back up again. I imagine Jane in her garden trying to root out all the weeds and everything. They keep coming back, right? There's an American poet, uh, Helen Hunt Jackson, who had this to say about the, uh, the black mustard plant. Uh, what would have been native to, uh, to Israel and the Middle East at this time. Uh, it's non-native to us, but he says this about it. The plant is a tyrant and a nuisance, the terror of the farmer. It takes riotous position of the whole field in a season. Once in, never out. One plant this year, a million next. Listen to this next bit, though. But it is impossible to wish that the land were freed of it. Its gold is as distinct a value to the eye as the nugget gold is. This kind of resiliency and value, the same thing that we see in the kingdom of God. It's counterintuitive, but in the same way, throughout church history, whenever and wherever believers are persecuted, the church always seems to flourish. And it's when believers co- cozy up to uh, too close to political power, that's when we see the church really begin to eat. The kingdom of God at its core, it isn't about wielding strength and might, and so it's not really the message of being tall like a cedar that's a, important to it. It's the message. Birds make their nest in the branches, that is really significant. The home for the broken and the weak. The refuge to the lost and broken. The kingdom of God is large enough to welcome the outcast it doesn't get caught up self-destructive pride in this way kingdom of God like at least I think that's what the truth is I don't really know and verses 33 and 34 they go on to tell us that Jesus explained this and all his other parables to his disciples when they were alone. But for whatever reason, Mark didn't see fit to include that explanation here for this parable. So we don't get what Jesus has to say about the parable to his disciples. What what Mark does say is that Jesus taught like this frequently. And earlier in the same chapter, we read that it was apparently confusing on purpose. Uh, In verse 10, when he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Just he wants them to to hear. Jesus spoke in parables both to teach and also to confound. These illustrations used everyday imagery to communicate these deep spiritual truths but even while they are simple in their language, they also are not so simply understood. Contemplating them further often begins to uh, make more questions rise up than answers. Some become so frustrated that they just stop digging. But for those who continue to chew on the saying, it can come away with new insight. He shares the meaning with those who follow. So through the way that Jesus shares these truths, Jesus tells us something else about the that it is worth pursuing. The kingdom of God is worth pursuing. Is an offering a quick fix? The kingdom of God is about a radically different kind of life, breaking into this world. It's God's will and reign present here on earth, just as it is in heaven. It's the most precious gift ever given, and nothing that is worth having ever comes easy. Jesus wants us to mull on it, to chew on this truth, let us soak into our souls because it's worth. It. So unlike the true princess of Hans Christian Andersen's Princess and the Pea, Jesus shows us the kind of divine royalty that is truly worthy of our admiration and our love. It, it, it's Jesus who embodies power without pride, honor without hubris, authority without arrogance his kingdom is confounding to this world because his love goes selfless. Reckless in its grace, just like another parable of the farmer recklessly throwing seed all over different types of ground, hoping for some of it to take root in good soil. It's unfair in its generosity, offering provision to those who don't deserve it, just like a parable he shares of a farmer who gets to reap harvest without tending to his crop. It's humble in its appearance, often showing up in small beginnings like the tiny seed of a mustard plant, but offering shade to the vulnerable. This news is foolishness to many, but its life too. so those Here in a moment, as we close, we're going to sing the song Mighty to Save. And it's amazing to me that our God, who is, above all things, Who is the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Creator of the universe, can speak things uh, into existence, the Word, the strongest of strong, doesn't feel the need to always talk about how strong he is, but instead is willing to humble himself in the smallest places, to show up in our lives, show grace, mercy, and tenderness to everyone. Only true strength. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you invite us to come and rest in shape. Thank you for the truth of your kingdom that's out in small, humble places, even in small corners of our hearts. Changes us, it changes the world. For those of us who receive, you will nourish, We will maul upon your work. That it can do things we never could have imagined. That strongholds and habits in our life have been destructive and be overcome. That the things in this world that seem so big and scary and Difficult to imagine any change ever happening, that you, you can bring life and peace. And so, Lord, we pray for faith. May we believe and help us. Thanks again for listening today to sermons at Smoky Row Brethren Church. If you enjoyed this message, would you consider leaving a rating, or a review, or a share a link to it on your social media page? All of those things can help to spread the reach of this podcast and make this resource accessible to more people for their spiritual growth. Or if you believe in the mission and the work of our congregation and want to support what we are doing, you can give online at smokyrow.org give, link available in the show notes. All of our ministry work is funded by the generosity of people like you. Until the next time, may the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may lead you. And the peace and the power of his Holy Spirit. See you soon.